Father, we just thank you right now for just this time that we can go before you in the word. And God, I just bless you and, and give you praise and glory and honor for each and every person under the sound of my voice. Oh God, I pray that you would just touch their mind, their heart, their spirit, soul, and body. As the word comes forth, oh God, I decrease that you may increase so that way they can hear a word from you, hear a word from your Holy Spirit that's given them the wisdom, the guidance, the encouragement that they need to make it through whatever's to come over the next week, over the next days, you know, even the next hours. God, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know that you know what tomorrow holds, and we know that you hold the future. And so, Father, I just thank you that as this word comes forth, oh God, that it would just be like fire in each and every one of us, including me, and help us to learn and to grow. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Um, So, I am not going to give you a whole bunch of scriptures today, but um, I will give you the context scripture, and actually, it's just two kind of context scriptures or so. Um, but we are, um, I'm focused today on Genesis chapters 46 through 50. Mm-hmm. Um, that is page 62 through 69, I believe, in the voice. Um, and then the scripture that we started out with for this series, um, Ephesians 3, and I'm going to look at verses 18 through 21. And I believe that's page 1439 in the voice. So I'll jump around and reference some scriptures in Genesis 46 through 50. Um, but if you just keep those pages, you'll be able to go along with me okay. if you just want to reference it. Um, but we've come to the end of our series on the depth of God's love as displayed in the book of Genesis. We're going to close out this part of the series by exploring the last five chapters of Genesis, chapters 46 through 50. And then seeing what we can learn about the depths of God's love from these remaining chapters. I want to give you a summary of Genesis. So get to so ready. We're going to go through all the chapters, but I'm going to do a summary. So if you want to start at 46, you can maybe pop through some pages and see what I'm saying. But um, I'm going to give you a summary of Genesis chapters 46 through 50 to provide some context. And then we'll focus on our main point for today's message. At the start of chapter 46, Jacob, otherwise known as Israel, was making a journey to Egypt to be with his son Joseph, who he recently found out was alive and not dead, as his older sons led him to believe for decades. I may imagine Jacob was concerned about leaving Canaan, the place he had called home, the place where he had settled and prospered for so long to go to a strange place to live among people that didn't honor God. But the Lord assured Jacob, that it was okay to go to Egypt. Mm -hmm. And the Lord reassured him that Jacob's descendants would prosper under the same promise that was given to Abraham. If we all think about it, we can put ourselves in that place because anytime we got to go to somewhere new, when we don't really know what's going to be on the other side, we get a little nervous, get a little anxious. We wonder, are we hearing God right? Is this the right thing to do? So we can all put ourselves in, in, in Jacob's um, shoes to just wonder, like, is this the right thing? Um, but God said, yeah, it is. And I'm going to continue to honor the promise that I made to Abraham. And so the setup for greater abundance for the Israelites was created through Joseph as he sought Pharaoh's blessing to settle his father and brothers in Goshen, a land that was a perfect environment for sheep herders due to the fertility of the land and pastures. Goshen was also set apart from Egypt, so Jacob and future generations could maintain their cultural and spiritual distinctiveness 
with minimal interference from or entanglement with the paganistic ways of the Egyptians. Um, so when Jacob went to Egypt, he ended up settling in the land of Goshen. And that was a negotiation between Joseph and the Pharaoh. And they decided like, oh yeah, this is a, a good place for you. I thought it was interesting when you read about the relationship of you know the Egyptians with people that were uh, sheep herders, you find that they did not like, they did not like them. Right. And so it was, it actually worked out really perfectly when you think about it. It was like divine intervention for them to go before Pharaoh and say, we are sheep herders. And, and Pharaoh's probably like, mm, yeah, we don't want y'all around. Yeah, go ahead and go shit. Go take that land. And he said to, he said to Joseph, and if any of your brothers are really good at this, have them come take care of my sheep too, you know? And so I think that that's just something to see how even just minor things are orchestrated, you know, by the Lord. Um, but as Joseph's family, Joseph's family settled in Goshen, he gave his family a stipend of food resources to keep them comfortable and cared for during the famine that was taken over the land. The famine was devastating, the entire land of Egypt and Canaan. This devastation caused the people to give up all their money, give up all their livestock to Joseph and Pharaoh in exchange for food. When they were out of money, when they were out of livestock, they agreed to be slaves in order to have food. And Joseph orchestrated all of this with the wisdom given to him by God. And the people throughout the land survived and were happy to become the servants of Pharaoh. They even gave back 20% of everything that they grew you know, to Pharaoh. And they did it because the seed that they got to grow, um, the produce and everything in the land, it came from seed from Joseph. So they were like, hey, we alive. I'll happily give you 20%, you know, because I had nothing. And I think it's something you can tell how bad that famine was if people say, you know what, I'm happy to be your slave. Just feed me. I mean, imagine how serious that is. These people were happy to be slaves simply so they could eat. And so um, amidst all of this, Joseph's family was untouched by the famine and didn't have to sell any of their livestock, any of their land, or they didn't have to give up their freedom. Mm -hmm. The favor they received when settling in Goshen became the backdrop for the development of the Israelite nation. In chapter 47, verse 27, it described it as they acquired property in the area, had children, and their number increased rapidly. In short, they prospered in the midst of famine. At the end of chapter 47, Jacob is preparing to die, but as is the custom before he dies, he needs to pass on the blessing. He calls for Joseph and made Joseph promise to bury him in Canaan alongside his ancestors. As we move on in the story, Jacob became, becomes very sick not long after making Joseph promise um, to bury him with the uh, ancestors. So he called in Joseph and Joseph's two sons um, so that way he could bless them before he before he died. It's worth noting that Joseph wasn't the firstborn son. So it's meaningful that the blessing reserved for the firstborn would be passed on to Joseph's sons. But another interesting thing happens in the story, and is, is that instead of Jacob blessing Joseph's older son, who was Manasseh, he gave the firstborn blessing to Ephraim, uh, he, and Ephraim was the youngest son. So Joseph, if you read into the scripture, um, Joseph was troubled by this. 
um, as it says in verse 48 and 17, uh, or in chapter 48, verse 17. And so he tried to correct Jacob's error. Like if you read that, you will find that he was like, uh-uh, dad, you got your hand on the wrong person. Let me go ahead and put it on the right person. And then Jacob's like, mm-mm, I got the right person. And he put his hand back on the other one. So Jacob uh, asserted that he knew exactly what he was doing when he gave the firstborn blessing to Ephraim. He said Manasseh would be great, but Ephraim would be greater. After blessing Joseph's children, Jacob turned to Joseph and blessed him further by giving him more land than all his brothers. After blessing Joseph, Jacob blessed and prophesied to his other sons, telling them what their future would hold. You'll find the various blessings in chapter 49. And we'll see that not all the prophecies were positive, but they were truthful, and each son received a blessing that was tailored to them. One of the most significant blessings was that of Judah, because it identified his line as the one from which King David, and thereby Jesus, the Messiah who would bring peace and prosperity to all, would come. When all the blessings were spoken and inherited land designated, Jacob made his sons once again promise to bury him in Canaan with his ancestors and his wife Leah, and then he died. I think it was so interesting how serious he was about being buried with with his ancestors. But um, last time I spoke, I shared about the strained relationship with Leah and Rachel, um, Jacob's two wives. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, and Leah fought for his attention and love by birthing as many sons as she could. It's not fully clear why Leah was buried in the family cemetery and Rachel wasn't, but I think it's interesting that after all that went on during their lifetime, it was Leah and Jacob that ended up being buried in the same place. I think I took that as, you know, sometimes you got to hold on. You may not see it all come together in this life. But you can see it come together like afterwards. You can see it being passed on to generations. But, you know, Leah went through so much. And so I just thought that no matter what it is, it's still significant in some way that those two ended up being, you know, buried side by side, if you will. Um, So in chapter 50, we're in chapter 50 now. In chapter 50, the final chapter of Genesis, we learn about the long process for embalming, burying, and mourning the death of Jacob. Joseph had to ask Pharaoh for permission to go and bury his father in Canaan. But given the favor that Joseph had with Pharaoh, Pharaoh honored Joseph's request. Some of us have seen long funeral processionals, but it seems that Jacob's funeral processional was even longer because it included Pharaoh's elders and servants, Joseph's family, his brothers and their households, all of Jacob's household, chariots and charioteers. In verse 9 of chapter 50, it says, it was a grand procession, Mm -hmm. so grand with so many and such loud mourners that when they reached Canaan, the Canaanites concluded, whoever died must have been a great loss. Uh, The chapter ends with Joseph's brothers being worried that with the passing of their father, Joseph would seek revenge for what they had done to him. So they concocted a lie to say Jacob's dying wish was that Joseph forgive them. After all Joseph had done to care for them over the years, I would imagine that he was a bit shocked and disheartened by their requests. But though his heart was broken by their words, he reminded them of the divine plan and everything that happened. If you look at chapter 50, verses 19 through 21, that should be on page 69, what you'll see Joseph say is, don't be afraid. 
I am, am I to judge instead of God? It's not my place. Even though you intended to harm me, God intended it only for good. And through me, he preserved the lives of countless people as he is still doing today. So don't worry. I will provide for you myself, for you and your children. And these words have always been powerful to me. I remember hearing it was Paula White, I think, that, that did a message a long, long time ago that was talking about um, saving much people alive. But I think it's the King James Version that says, God allowed him to save much people alive. And what you see at the conclusion of the Genesis story is God reminding us of his power to use the most difficult circumstances to bring good and salvation to people who do not deserve it. Mm -hmm. The story ends with a type of unconditional love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness mm -hmm. that is rarely seen but much needed in the world. These ending scriptures give us a deeper glimpse into, what, into who God is. He is a God of unmerited or undeserved favor. The whole story of Joseph and many others that we've learned about during this series shows God as a diehard lover who's always looking to bring good into every situation, even in a situation where he's not known or acknowledged. And so if I had to have a you know, title or, uh, for the message today, it would just be God's unmerited favor. Mm -hmm. Because I think as I was reading this, that's all I could think about. Before I started working on this message, I was in a conversation with somebody about a situation where they and their friend, they were talking to this man who was like an investor. He had the power to like give them money to do, you know, what um, maybe in a way what they were dreaming about doing. And in, the situa in, this, in this particular situation, the person ended up getting the attention of the investor, you know, but their friend didn't. They both had business ideas and everything, but their friend standing right beside them. The investor didn't even look at them, didn't say anything to them. But the person was like, hey, you know, this is what I want to do there. And the guy, and the guy was like, oh, wow, well, I got some money. I can help you do that. Love to be a part of this with you. Just let, set up a call and let us talk. And the person was talking to me and they were like, I feel so bad for my friend because she was standing right here and she had ideas and he didn't even talk to her. And I had to say, you know what? Favor ain't fair. And you gotta just realize that favor is not fair. Nobody ever said that it was. And so you can feel bad for that person. But when you get favor like that, you got to take it and you got to do something with it. You can't hold yourself back just because somebody else didn't get what you thought they should get. When you receive it, you got to take it, do what you can to help others. And look at Joseph. The favor he received was so great that he was able to take care of his brothers and their children. And when we have favor, we can't get caught up in who didn't receive the favor. We have to do our part by tapping into the wisdom of God to bring the kingdom into the space that God has put us in. Joseph did that very thing. He tapped into the wisdom of God and saved whole nations. Unmerited favor, it has the potential to save nations. And we may not think about nations because like, ooh, nations, that's a big deal. You know, well, think about Unmerited favor has the potential to save your family. Unmerited favor has the potential to save the people on your job, has the potential to save the community. When you think about nations, it doesn't have to be some foreign country right, somewhere. Right, it right, could be yeah, just the generations that God has trusted yeah. you with. 
And so after that conversation, I embarked upon my studies for this, uh, this session or this um, message. And I just kept thinking about unmerited favor. And I saw the voice commentary, and you can see it before um, chapter 48, but it says, mm -hmm. In the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, custom demands that the firstborn son become the next head of the family and inherit the name, status, and wealth of his father. But as we have seen throughout Genesis, God makes a habit of ignoring human customs, subverting tradition, mm -hmm. and privileging the younger over the older. When it comes to the covenant, God typically chooses to pass his blessings and duties to the younger. The trend continues throughout scripture as God selects David and then Solomon, both younger sons, as the two greatest kings over Israel. It's almost humorous the way Joseph tries to engineer the situation, placing Manasseh, his firstborn, at his father's right hand to receive the greater blessing. But Israel has none of it. He crosses his hands and extends the right hand to Ephraim, the secondborn. Joseph is sure his ailing father has made a mistake, but Jacob knows exactly what he is doing. And all I could focus on was the sentence that says, but as we have seen throughout Genesis, God makes a habit of ignoring human customs, subverting tradition, and privileging the younger over the older. And I thought, unmerited favor. Mm -hmm. That's what it does. It ignores human customs. It subverts tradition. It causes a person who everyone thought should receive the blessing, the promotion, the house, the car, the job, whatever it is, right. it causes that person to be skipped over for the person that no one even thought of. That's it's right. been many times that people would look at you, look at me and say, oh, you shouldn't have this. You shouldn't have that. It should have gone to this person. But favor says, no, we are exactly the person who should have got the job, who should have got the car, who should have got the house, who should have got whatever it is, the relationship, the a peace of mind. We are those people that Amen. deserve that. Amen. And so I thought that was just really interesting. And what this means is that as we live our lives honoring God in all that we do, at any point in time, God can step into a situation and shake things up to Amen. show you favor that no one else That's thought right. you deserved. What this means is that we can walk around life confident that we serve a God who loves us and is looking out for us, who will come through for us in unimaginable ways. And if for some reason he doesn't work it out, if he doesn't work out the matter in our lifetime, he'll visit that same love and that same favor upon our children and future generations. Sometimes we got to realize we can't be greedy. We Come want on. everything in our life to Come be all down. perfect and be all together. But you know what? There are That's generations the coming That's behind us, and we should just say, well, if I don't get it, I'm claiming this for my future Amen. generations. Amen. Amen. In the end, God's plan will come to pass, even if it takes generations and generations to make it happen. Look at what happened with Abraham. He was blessed to a certain level in his lifetime, but look at how the blessing multiplied as it moved through the generations until it reached Joseph, yes. and then through more generations until it reached David, and then through more generations as it came to Jesus, and then through more generations as it reached us. Look at where we are, the freedom we now have, the resources available to us. I'm not saying it's perfect. I never will get up here and say everything in life should be perfect. But look at where we are and where our children are. And I look at where our children's children will be. Yes. 
God and his unmerited favor has brought us a long way. I wanted to put it there. You brought us a mighty long way, as they said in the church. Some of us know, and my daddy said this today, some of us know that without God, we wouldn't even be here. So every day, as we live and breathe, we are the expressions of God's infinite love. Our lives show just how wide, long, high, and deep God's love is. Yeah. Let me remind you of the scriptures that inspired this series. If you go to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, that is page 1439. I'll give you just a second. But it says, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And I leave you with this reminder that you are the expression of God's unmerited favor and love. Yes. You are the living version of these scriptures. As you love God, love yourself, and love others, you can and will see the depths of God's love displayed in ways that you have yet to imagine. As you give this love, my prayer is that you will experience and know that same love being returned upon you. And it becomes an endless cycle of love being exchanged like the breath we breathe. Amen. Love going in, love going out, Amen. love changing the people and communities around us. Amen. We are meant for unmerited favor. It's we Thank were born for it. I don't care what anybody says, we were born for it. So every day, all of us should walk around expecting unmerited favor to come to us in some shape, form, or fashion, I don't know what you need from God, but you know what you're asking him for. You know what your dreams are and your hopes are. Well, sometimes the only way that's going to happen is through unmerited favor. Some person that you've just never met before walking up and saying, you know what? I want to help you out with this. Or somebody on your job saying, you know what? Hey, maybe if you do this and this and this, then maybe this will happen. Like that unmerited favor is what's going to really begin to transform our lives. And so I hope that as you, you know, as we end this series, that you'll look back through all of Genesis and look at those stories from the perspective of unmerited favor, because what you'll find is that God, you know, throughout all of the Bible, he used the most unlikely people. He used the most unlikely situations to further, you know, his purpose in yeah. the earth. And I always want to talk about, like, our job as Christians to be to bring heaven on earth. Mm -hmm. Well, in some cases, the only way we're going to do that for those big dreams that we have in our heart is for somebody to come in and help us to accomplish it. So, you know, just remember this story. Remember everything that you've learned from not just me, but from the teachers before me even, and just recognize that God's love is so much greater than we ever imagined. We can't keep putting God in a box. When we walk around life, we can't look at somebody through our own eyes. We have to look at that person through the eyes of love and say, you know what? 
what does this person need for this situation? It may not be what I need, but what do they need in order to take that next step? And that's what our life is about. We are accomplishing God's will in this earth when we are just sitting, like walking around life, living life, enjoying life, whatever, and looking at other people and saying, you know what, how can I help them go to the next step? That's really it. And if we can do that at the end of the end of our lifetime, when we're laying on our deathbed, we'll be able to say, yeah, I did what I was supposed to do. Amen. And you'll hear those words, well done, my yeah. good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. And I know y'all not trying to get to the rest anytime soon, but, you know, I just want to give you something to think about. Amen. <laughs> but with that, I'm done. Let's, let's bow our heads. Amen. Father God, I just thank you right now for just this time that we could be together. I pray that the word will be sealed upon everyone's heart. And if they don't remember anything else, God, just let them remember that your unmerited favor is here for each and every one of us today, for always, and not just in our lifetime, but even throughout it and into the lifetime of our generations to come. So, Father, I just give you praise and glory and honor. Just let your love be shed abroad in our hearts and open our eyes so that even as we, you know, prepare to leave, you know, church, that when we see the next person that we see, we'll see them even differently. When we look in the mirror, we'll see ourselves differently and we'll see transformation happening in us and in those that we come in contact with. Lord, I thank you for your unmerited favor. I thank you for your blessing on the lives of each and every person under the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.